From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Tuesday edition, despite the president's push for Democrats to reach a deal on his Build Government Bigger plan, there is still a divide over who gets their way, progressives or moderates, and who's going to pay. We'll get the latest from Capitol Hill from Daily Caller's congressional reporter, Michael Ginsburg. And last week, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked by Fox News's Peter Ducey which was more important to the president, the vaccine mandate or fixing the supply chain? COVID is an enormous labor disruptor, not only because it's the number one cause of death in some industries and some uh, professions, including police forces across the country, but because people are out sick, people are worried about coming to work. This is one of the reasons that a lot of these companies have implemented these requirements. Nice non-answer. Well, a lot of those companies are in Washington, D.C. this week, lobbying the administration to delay its COVID shot mandate until after Christmas. Why? We'll talk about it with Texas Congressman Randy Weber later here on Washington Watch. And a judge in Loudoun County, Virginia, has found a biological skirt-wearing male guilty of sexually assaulting a teenage girl in a Stonebridge High School girl's bathroom. The judge said he would sentence the boy once a second assault he committed is adjudicated. Students at Loudoun County greeted the news with a walkout today saying the school's bathroom policies create an unsafe and dangerous environment. We'll get the latest on what is happening in Loudoun County, which has become a national issue from FRC's Meg Kilgannon. And the ranking member on the Senate Armed Services Committee, Oklahoma Senator Jim Inhofe, has warned the Department of Defense that their COVID shot mandate is going to threaten national security. How? Well, Senator Inhofe is here later with the answer. And troubling news out of Sudan is a military coup led by General Abdel Fattah Alberna has dissolved the transitional government that has been restoring basic freedoms like religious freedom after nearly 30 years of the rule of the former Islamic dictator Omar al-Bashir. We'll uh, discuss the situation and the long-term effects of the coup with former ambassador at large for religious freedom, Sam Brownback. And finally, last week, President Biden said the U.S. would defend Taiwan against China. But does his administration seem to be saying something else? We'll hear from Asian expert Gordon Chang later here on Washington Watch. A lot of ground to cover today, so stick with us. If you miss anything, you can find it all later at TonyPerkins.com. And by the way, every morning you can join me for our Stand on the Word, our two-year journey through the Bible. You can catch it at TonyPerkins.com. Excuse me, TonyPerkins.com or on Facebook every morning. Our Democrats are making some tough choices about their massive social spending plan in order to satisfy key moderates in the Senate to slash the top line costs from 3.5 trillion to between 1.5 to 2 trillion. They've had to abandon several of President Biden's campaign promises, such as providing free community college and programs that were initially going to be made permanent will now be set to expire in a year or two the expanded child tax credit, and the expansion of Medicaid. What else has changed? Well, joining me now to talk about the latest from Capitol Hill and the president's Build Government Bigger plan is Daily Caller's congressional reporter, Michael Ginsburg. Michael, welcome to Washington Watch. Hi, thanks for having me on, Tony. Um, And you're you're absolutely right about uh, the tough choices that Democrats are having to make. I think that uh, one thing that we're going to be looking at is... um, you know, their green uh, Green New Deal style provisions that um, 
you know, members of the squad that Bernie Sanders, all um, all these more left wing members of the party have really been pushing. Um, this is stuff that uh, concerns, obviously, uh, Man Joe Manchin, as um, as I believe you mentioned. Obviously, uh, Manchin represents West Virginia, uh, a coal heavy coal mining state. Uh, coal is the a uh, key part of their economy. Um, he uh, has convinced them to uh, remove uh, a provision that would um, basically subsidize green energy companies and uh, and penalize carbon carbon uh, producing carbon. Companies that use carbon uh, energy, excuse, excuse me. Um, and this is something that really would be devastating to his state's economy. Um, this morning, he um, he got into a fight with or or an exchange of words with a with a climate activist, um, and he told the activist that you know if you want to look at uh, climate provisions, the the United States has uh, decreased its carbon emissions over the last decade plus or so, and that you know. Um, if if you want to look at this sort of thing, look look to uh, the east uh, East Asia, look at China, look at India, say Singapore, Vietnam, all these um, all these emerging economies because that's where uh, carbon emissions come from. So, Manchin's exactly right about that. So, Michael, I would think that this is a real sticking point because for the progressives, this is like the crown jewel uh, is is climate change and their ability to eradicate fossil fuel. And as you pointed out, um, Senator Manchin, being from West Virginia, is not about to uh, sell his constituents uh, in the coal state down the river. So how did they get by this impasse? Yeah, so they're they're still negotiating on this. Um, Sen Senator Sinema, who, as we also know, has uh, expressed some concerns about uh, raising money uh, propose, uh, to pay for this, proposed a carbon tax um, that that was not okay with senator manchin so you know we're still watching this um president biden goes to the glasgow climate con conference uh later this week and he has said you know i want to be able to bring bring this up for a deal um to show that you know the united states is uh, serious about uh about addressing uh climate change and global warming all the all these sorts of things that you know he he did run on but th this is a stickler for Democrats. They, obviously, they can't they can't lose any votes on this. Um, if if Manchin gets his way uh, with um, with these provisions, uh, left wing members of the House certainly won't vote for it. Uh, Manchin did express uh, some optimism earlier today um, in a meeting uh, or in a conference earlier today. He said that he does believe that um, this this will be passed by Wednesday night, uh, but. Uh, you, you know, I, I would, I would be surprised um, if this, if this does, um, if, if this does get done, and you know they're they're negotiating really heavily, but that that would that would definitely surprise me if they get all of this yeah, done by tomorrow. Yeah, we, we didn't even touch upon uh, the how they're going to pay for it because there's a disagreement over who to tax. Uh, in the plan now. Uh, Michael, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, appreciate you uh, giving us the latest from Capitol Hill on this uh, budget reconciliation bill that's going to be a whopper if they ever get it across. All right. Thanks for having me on, Tony. All right. Thank you. Michael Ginsburg with uh, The Daily Caller. All right. Business groups are pleading with the White House to delay its COVID shot mandate for private companies with 100 or more employees until after the holiday season. Why? 
Well, because of a mass exodus of workers as they head into the holidays will hurt their bottom line. It will further disrupt the supply chain. And when most businesses make the bulk of their profit during the holiday season, it could be disastrous. But this says if they're just wanting to push it off until January, are they just concerned about their profits or their people? Join me now to talk about the latest on this is Congressman Randy Weber. He's a member of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee and the House Committee on Science, Space, and Technology, where he serves as the ranking member on the Energy Subcommittee. He represents the 14th Congressional District of Texas. Randy, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. Great to be with you. So uh, what's your reaction to these uh, big businesses lobbying the administration to push this off until after the holiday season? Well, it'll never fly with the president because it makes sense, Tony. It makes sense from a business standpoint. It makes sense from a liberty personal decision standpoint. It makes sense for helping our, our already, already completely stressed supply chains, uh, people who are having that personal liberty fight about whether they have to be instructed to take the mandate or, I mean, the vaccine or lose their jobs. It makes sense, and it's doubtful that the president will listen. I mean, we hear all of this about the supply chain disruptions, and in part, we have the issue with uh, trucking. We're already, according to the industry, 80,000 truckers short in that industry, and it's estimated that a third of the current trucking force will walk off the job if they're forced to get the mandate. How's that going to impact the supply chain? Well, in a great way, if people stop and think about it, for years, the trucking industry actually had a bumper sticker that said, if anything got delivered to your door, it came by truck. And, of course, it comes from overseas, could come on a plane, on a boat, on a ship. It could come by rail into an area. But I guarantee it was delivered by truck in the neighborhoods. And not only is it 80,000 truckers uh, short, but think about this. You're going to have mechanics. You're going to have people that wash trucks. You're going to have people, staffers that work in those, in those offices that do the scheduling. Uh, it, it's going to be extremely disrupting, as you pointed out, at a time when a lot, and I owned a small business air conditioning company for 35 years, at a time when that is their biggest season, uh, Christmas, for a lot of these retailers. And I quite frankly don't think the Democrats care. I, I want to go back to the business community for a moment <clears throat> because, you know, the com- I'm, I'm just going to be very candid, uh, Randy. The business, big business, big business, not the small businesses, not those right. under 100 employees, not even those with a couple of hundred employees, but big business, the Chamber of Commerce. They helped put this type of left-wing uh, policymakers into office. And then they come here asking the president, you know, not to, imp- not to impose this until after the holidays because it's going to affect us. But what about their workers? Because after January, they still care about their freedoms but the business will have them there working until after the holidays. They'll make their profits, and then they'll give their employees the boot. Well, that, that's the sad thing about having to com- about one of the th- sad things about having to comply with the, with the presidential, what I call dictatorial edict, because you're absolutely correct. Sure, they would get a reprieve for 90 days, and yes, the business is going to make their money. But yes, them, their families, those workers are going to be stressed because it, at the end of the day or at the end of 90 days, you're going to have the government of the United States mandating that they must do something or they'll lose their job. 
And I tell you what, freedom in America is a very fragile thing. It was Reagan who said we're never more than one generation away from freedom, you know, freedom extinction. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, you're viewing it up close and personal right now by the Democrats, not just in the in the pandemic and the virus. I mean, the vaccine mandates, but also in their spending bill that you talked about. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you, it, this is a time where all citizens have to be engaged. Our republic, I often say on this program, was made for participants, not spectators. And if we stand on the side and watch, we will lose our republic. Yeah, that's what we're fearful of. And you're right about the National Chamber of Commerce, uh, why they would support uh, these kinds of uh, this kind of left leaning. And, and to be fair, Sure, you see AOC and the squad, or what I call the odd squad, by the way. Uh, you see them with more socialistic, more left-leaning, more liberal liberal ideology than ever before. But still, you would think that business people would get that and say, bad for business, bad for America, bad for families, bad for individuals. Right. You'd think they'd understand that. Yeah, but what they do is they, they help get these left-wingers into office, and then they come to the conservatives to try to save <laughs> them from the left-wing tax policy. Uh, yeah. And it's one of these days, maybe we'll all learn. Uh, well, the, the old saying that if you're going to pay the fiddler to dance, be sure he's playing your song. That's right. Yep. Randy Weber, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, stopping Thank in today. You. you bet. Thanks, Tony. All right, folks, Congressman Randy Weber of Texas. I'm telling you that, that we are in trying times. You've got to be informed and you've got to be engaged. You've got to talk about these things. Speaking of talking, I'll tell you, this is one of the things that's happened in education. We're going to talk more about Loudoun County next. Meg Kilgannon joins me. The uh, skirt-wearing biological male that uh, assaulted a girl in the girl's bathroom was convicted today. Students walked out saying they don't want these unsafe bathroom policies. Folks, it's time to stand up. Hear what's happening next on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? Specifically, one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to influence public policy and culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that prepares and equips students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, in weekly biblical worldview trainings, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns will have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls them. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving interns the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Hey, look at me do a cannonball. I've heard that all summer from our grandchildren. Jumping into a pool of fresh, clear water and making the big splash is such fun, and children like to have somebody to watch them. Listen to Jonah chapter 1, verse 10. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. Whoa. We all know the story of Jonah and the big fish. He certainly made a big splash when he hit the water. For Jonah, doing a cannonball into the sea became a life adventure. Most of our cannonballs won't lead to such a dramatic adventure, but it is important that you as a parent pay attention when your child is asking you to watch them. Whether it is when they do a cannonball into the pool or it's simply something that they need a bit of your time. 
take time before summer is over to enjoy a fun day doing cannonballs in the pool together. Those cannonball moments are as important to them as Jonah's cannonball moment was to him. Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace at HopeForTheHome.org. Hi, my name's Eric. And I'm Kendra. And we have been married a little over two years now. Honestly, I think the the most challenging part of our marriage so far, we're right in the middle of it. We're trying to have kids right now. I have a spinal cord injury, so that makes things a little more difficult. And um, I just am, am dealing with some issues with infertility. The difficulty is on my end. But it's our infertility. But it is our, yeah. Because we're right. one now. <laughs> and I, I think what's really helped us through this is keeping Jesus at the center Mm -hmm. of it all and knowing that anything that causes you to lean and depend on Jesus more is actually a blessing. Yes. It's heartening to to know that I have someone who's, she's on my team. Tune into By Design as we explore God's true purpose and design for marriage. Just visit the podcast page at AFR.net. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, the Loudoun County teen, this was the skirt-wearing boy, biological male, who allegedly assaulted two students in uh, the girls' restrooms at two different schools, was found guilty of all charges in the first assault. The, uh, the second one is yet to be adjudicated, and the judge said that he will... Uh, sentence the youth after the second case. The students in Loudoun County, as a result of the verdict, walked out uh, declaring that the school policy as it pertains to bathrooms leaves their campus unsafe and dangerous. Join me to talk about these and other developments is Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. Meg, welcome back. Great to be here, Tony. So a lot of developments. Uh, let's start first with the um, conviction of this skirt-wearing biological boy who was allowed to use the girls' restrooms and sexually assaulted a teenage girl in the restroom. Right. Um very unfortunate situation. The sentencing for that crime will not happen until the um, second case is adjudicated. But um, we're all very interested to see what the sentence will be and whether or not he'll be at school during this time. It's undetermined whether he's going to school in person or if he is remote schooling or what's going on with him. Now, there was a cover-up of this. The uh, I'm going to call it cover-up because this happened on May 28th. June 22nd at the school board meeting, the superintendent was asked about this. Uh, have we had any issues in our restrooms uh, because of this gender neutral policy? He said, no, we've not had any policy. In fact, he goes on to quote various studies saying this is a red herring. Well, after this came out, uh, and we talked about it on Washington Watch, he held a press conference on October the 15th. Uh, in which he said, oh, we failed to, uh, to, to, to keep safe. In fact, I just want to play this clip. Uh, clip number five, please. We acknowledge and share in your pain, and we will continue to offer you support to help your families through this trauma. For all of our students, our school-based United Unified Mental Health teams are available to anyone who needs care. You know, that sounds like the CRT language uh, right. th- that, you know, we share in your pain. No, you caused the pain. Yes. 
first off by your your asinine policy that says boys and girls can use the same restrooms and then you covered it up from the public right and then the prosecutor in the county decided it would be a good idea to put an ankle monitor on this young man and let him go back to a different school which and do it the school again. agreed to and the crime is repeated um, this is a terrible situation that should really cause parents in Loudoun County, all over Virginia, and all over the country to ask themselves a lot of questions they would rather not ask. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are the policies in my school regarding children who are, you know, charged with crimes? Right. Are they are they allowed to come back to school? Should they be? Um, you know, there is a presumption of innocence until proven guilty. However, when children's safety is at stake, I, I think we need to be I, I, extremely careful. I just don't know how you expect any different outcomes when you have policies like this that have biological males and biological females using the same restrooms, locker rooms, showers, etc. I mean, how do you expect different outcomes? Now, I want to play another clip. Uh, this was President Obama because this issue has become a national issue. It's become an issue in the Virginia governor's race, and it's probably the number one issue right now in the race for governor of Virginia between uh, Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin. President, former President Obama was campaigning for Terry McAuliffe uh, this past weekend, this past Saturday, and he had this to say about the whole education issue. Clip number three. We don't have time to be wasting on these phony, trumped-up culture wars, this fake outrage that, that right-wing media peddles to juice their ratings. Uh, manufactured outrage, phony culture wars, uh, girls being raped in uh, bathrooms, that's, uh, that's phony, that's trumped up. This is the great frustration with the, the culture war itself, is that it's the left that prosecutes this culture war and the right defends against it, and exactly. somehow we're the yeah. ones that are fighting Excellent the war. Excellent point. Excellent <laughs> this point. This is just a classic move from their playbook. we, we got so much to cover. I want to move on to something else. Um, the curriculum. Uh, there's a curriculum in the schools that in, in order for the parents to be able to see this in Loudoun County, they have to sign a form that's comparable to a non-disclosure agreement. This is to review a portion of the district's new curriculum inspired by critical race theory. This, this group that is peddling this stuff has connections to the Southern Poverty Law Center. What are they hiding? Why, why do parents have to sign a legal agreement to see what their kids are being taught? Well, because they don't want a screenshot of this going viral on the internet when someone exposes it for what it is, which is critical race theory, which is an oppressor versus happening. the oppressed which isn't dynamic, happening. right? Um, this is the problem. And this is how parents were treated anytime we wanted to see a sex ed curriculum before, in the age before cell phones. You were put in a, in a room by yourself. You couldn't make a copy of anything. You couldn't have a pen or a pencil with you to review this curriculum because it was copyright protected. And so this is how they kept those things under wraps. Uh, you could only view it during school hours, which means any parent who worked outside the home couldn't see the curriculum at all. I mean, and this is, this is a classic move on their part is to demand non-disclosure of parents who want to see, parents who are concerned and want to see material are not allowed to, to discuss it or show it to anybody else. You made reference to this earlier. Last question for you, Meg Kilgannon. You were in the uh, Department of Education and the Trump administration. This is not just isolated to Loudoun County. Correct. 
this is happening all across America. Absolutely true. It is absolutely true. These policies are being promulgated all over the country uh, in places that would really surprise a lot of people who are very comfortable in their in their red district thinking that everything's fine in my school. Um, you really ought to make sure. We've got some resources available to help parents f- determine what's actually happening in their schools. Yes. Very quickly, tell them They're about it. At uh, frcaction.org, we have our school board boot camp. At frc.org, we have uh, brochures talking about resources and things that are available to help parents just in understanding what's happening in schools today. Yeah, instructions on how you can make a difference in your child's school and, and how you can be better informed. We, you know, the, I was encouraged by the kids standing up today, walking out of schools, demanding greater security and and uh, and safety by not having these crazy bathroom policies but we need parents on the school boards putting an end to this stuff all right folks meg thanks stick with us on the other side of the break senator jim inhofe of oklahoma joins us don't go away making the most of your money here's dan celia on american family radio Not gas. That should be what everybody's talking about. That's the big story. Nobody is even mentioning it. This is going to be right out of pocket if you heat with not gas. Or if you pay an electric bill, you are going to be dramatically impacted by these gas prices. Not quite as dramatically impacted as they are in Great Britain, but pretty close to it. Apparently, a business group has asked the White House to delay the Biden COVID vaccine mandate until after the holidays. I guess they would like to have a few workers. The problem with that is they wait till after the holidays, COVID might be over and the pharmaceuticals might miss out on billions of dollars. And we can't let that happen. That would be horrifying. By the way, you know, I always talk about the analyst on Wall Street. How they're never right. They've been wrong about this presidency and the administration and the economy since the election. But they seem to ignore it and keep making the same predictions over and over again, hoping that it somehow will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, one of the reasons is they gave $625 million in 2020 to political spending. $625 million. And you can almost bet it went to liberal causes for sure. Tesla hit a trillion dollar mark on Monday. Another trillion dollar company. Tesla stock up dramatically. And that was the big winner of the day. So we'll see how the rest of the week plays out. It's going to be an interesting one. Want to hear more financial advice from Dan Celia? Listen to his podcast at financialissues.org. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Right, the Pentagon is sticking to its guns, insisting that the COVID-19 shot mandate for service members does not pose a threat to national security, but rather is one of the best ways to preserve it. The secretary's view is that one of the best ways to make sure that the force is able to do its job to defend the nation is to is to make sure that they're protected against this virus 
uh, we would agree with people that argue that it's a national security issue. And our view is that one of the best ways to be able to preserve our national security is to make sure that our men and women uh, are, are protected against this virus and therefore are healthy and able to do their jobs to defend this country. That was Pentagon spokesperson John Kirby yesterday at a uh, press conference. Well, many disagree with uh, his statement that uh, that includes a number of uh, leading Republicans, including the leading Republican overseeing the Defense Department's budget and policies, who has sent a letter to the Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin demanding the Pentagon's vaccine mandate, quote, be immediately suspended. Join me now to talk about his letter and the concerns that he and many others share is Senator Jim Inhofe of Oklahoma. He's the ranking member on the Senate Armed Services Committee. Senator, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you, Tony. Nice to be with you. Now, uh, the military pushing back on your assertion that this is going to create a problem for our nation's military in terms of both retention and recruitment. Explain your concern about this shot mandate. Well, first of all, that's just an outrageous lie. I've, I've not heard anything that extreme because just the opposite is, is true. I think people don't understand. A lot of people, even your good uh, listeners, uh, are not aware of the fact that uh, there's a big difference between Democrats and Republicans when it comes to a strong national defense. And uh, the best evidence of that is when the first budget came along. Uh, our president came out with the, with the figures that he was using. Uh, we were going to increase all other uh, non-offense issues by 16%, but only increase defense by 1.6%. Well, what does that tell you? That's about a 10 to 1 uh, difference there. It's because uh, a true liberal Democrat doesn't believe you believe need a strong defense uh, to start with. Now, in my case, we, we're dealing with it. I called for the immediate suspension of the vaccination mandate. You know, I was back in the days, and I've heard this argument given, back in the days when I was a kid and I was in the United States Army, I could understand it. I never knew where I was going to be stationed and all that. And so there are a lot of shots that were necessary because of the unknown thing. This has nothing to do with that. But we, what we have is uh, contractors who are working with uh, the military. And then the military, when they're uh, given a mandate to stop that. And keep in mind the letter. And if anyone would like to see a copy of that letter, I have that on my website, which is inhoff.senate.gov, and you're welcome to pull that up. Because one of the biggest problems we have right now are uh, problems with the military. We went, uh, we left a presidency, Donald Trump, who is a very strong supporter of the military. In fact, he gave uh, me the opportunity to pretty much dictate what he was going to be doing on the military. He did a great job. And then, of course, it was replaced by uh, by someone who doesn't even think that we need a military to start with. And I'm talking about serious things. Uh, for example, pilot shortages. Right now, we have pilot shortages. Just a lot of that due to the fact that we inherited uh, inherited an excellent uh, economy uh, from uh, from uh, the Trump years. And so everyone is fully employed, and, and uh, it makes it that much more difficult to compete and to keep people in the military. So we spent most of our time trying to do that. But right now, we don't have the, the pilots that we need. And the reason we don't is the 
pilot shortage that has taken place, the economy has increased, and so the airline and others are in need of pilots, and they can, in most cases, pay more than government can. So that's what we're dealing with right now. And it goes far beyond, and you and I over the years have talked about this as, as we've gone through Democrat administrations and Republican administrations. It's always during the, Republic, the Democrat administrations that we short the military. Right. That's exactly what is happening today. Uh, one final question for you, Senator, is you, you've given them a November 1st deadline to respond back to several questions you asked regarding uh, this uh, shot mandate. But one of the issues that's been raised is this dishonorable discharges or less than honorable discharges for those who refuse the vaccine. Is that something you think you and your colleagues can stop from happening? Oh, oh yeah, we, we can stop that from happening. We're going to have to go to the public, go to people like you, Tony, and others who reached out to the real people and let them know how important our military is. And the fact that right now we're in a situation where we have between China and Russia and many of our other adversaries, uh, we're in the most threatened position that we've been in in my lifetime. I have no doubt about that. And this is the problem that we're facing at the same time that we have a presidency uh, who is not supporting the military. So it's a real, a real crisis. I want to keep in mind, though, because you, you just mentioned it, uh, they're going to have to respond to us by when is it? November 1st. Yeah. November 1st, they're going to acknowledge that they did not. Uh, I'd like to make sure that you pay attention of what happens on November 1st. Well, we will be watching, <laughs> and, and uh, Senator, we hope to have you back on to uh, tell us what you heard by that November 1st deadline. Uh, Senator Inhofe, we're out of time. I want to thank you for joining us. As always, great to talk with you and uh, appreciate all that you do on behalf of our nation's military. Thanks so much, Senator. All right, folks, stick away with us. We come back with more Washington Watch on the other side of this break. Don't go away. For centuries, the Bible has inspired humanity and shaped the very world we live in. But how do we know this book is the Word of God and not merely the words of men? What we believe about the Bible is based on what we believe about its source. The God Who Speaks explores the evidence of the Bible's inspiration and authority through some of the world's most respected biblical scholars. We have essentially a dual authorship. So it's true to say that Paul wrote Romans. It's equally true to say that God wrote Romans. He says, we saw this. And that sets the Bible apart from almost everything else in the ancient world and its religious pantheon of gods and goddesses. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. I loved it. I loved how biblically sound it was, all the scripture to back it up. The testimonies were very powerful. If it's a prodigal child that has just run away, or one that's caught up in same-sex attraction, there's hope in Jesus. In His Image is now available on DVD and can be purchased in bulk to pass out to friends and family. Order today by visiting afastore.net. One of the most controversial topics in Christianity today is homosexuality. 
The Bible is clear about it, but the world has been relentless in its attempts to shift our views, and that's caused confusion and increased pressure to bow to the culture. In his Engage Magazine article, Homosexuality Comes to the Church, Standing Firm in a Culture that Embraces Chaos, M.D. Perkins gives scripture to dispel the lies of the world. Sign up for your complimentary copy today at EngageMagazine.net. This is Franklin Graham, and I've got an idea for Christmas, and that is to fill a shoebox for a child somewhere in the third world. These children live in poverty, and what I'm asking you to do is just take a shoebox and fill it with items for a child, put toys, school supplies, and then we give these boxes out, and we do this in Jesus' name. And put your picture in there. Put your address in there. Maybe the kids can write you back, but we need you to be a part of it. God bless you. Thank you so very much. Visit SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC to get involved. Send joy to a child in need with Operation Christmas Child. Simply pack a shoebox with fun toys, school supplies, and hygiene items. Then bring it to a drop-off location during National Collection Week, November 15th through the 22nd. You can also build a shoebox online. The best part is the good news of Jesus Christ is shared alongside your gift. And each child is given the opportunity to participate in a life-changing discipleship program. Visit SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC to learn more. This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Yesterday, Sudan's military seized power from the country's transitional government, arresting the prime minister and members of his cabinet and vowing to form a new government. In response, pro-democracy protesters have been taking to the streets, vowing to resist the military coup which has sidetracked the country's path toward democratic rule. Joining me now to talk about this is former ambassador at large for international religious freedom, our good friend Sam Brownback. Sam, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony, thanks to have me on and appreciate you covering this topic of Sudan. Well, it's it's troubling. My, in fact, my last trip before the COVID uh, pandemic was to Sudan to meet with the prime minister there and uh, other leaders, and they were on a path to restoring religious freedom along with other fundamental freedoms. Uh, but let me ask you this question. Are you concerned that this could be a setback for the Sudanese people? I am concerned, uh, but I'm also watching it closely, Tony. I was just over in Sudan in June of this year, uh, meeting with the transitional government. I've met with uh, Prime Minister Hamduk uh, several times. I, like you, was very encouraged about their movement forward that they were doing on human rights and broadening the country and religious freedom. Uh, But, boy, you could see something was seething at that time, 400% inflation. Uh, That's just the sort of thing that's going to really bubble up some way. And it sure looked like to me when I left that that something was going to happen here. My hope is that people can keep their eye on getting to a civilian government, an elected civilian government next year, uh, and that there be commitments made to do something like that quickly here uh, by some transitional government. Now, they were slated to have elections in November. Uh, now the, the the military leadership is saying that the elections will take place in the summer of 2023. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, constitutional rights had been restored. We had, saw, we, we had seen some of the most egregious provisions that were under Islamic, the Islamic government of al-Bashir uh, had been eliminated. D- do you think the military regime is going to put some of those more, more onerous restraints back onto the people? Well, let's hope they don't. 
uh, and uh, I I don't know. I met with uh, two of the three military uh, people in some of the top positions on the uh, leadership council when I was there. Uh, they didn't sound at all like that was something that they wanted to do. Now, you know, well, let's see what the distance is between their words and their actions. I think that's critical. And the big thing we don't want to see is them returning to this militant Islamic government type that they had under Bashir, which there was an, a coup attempt to bring Bashir type governance back in a couple of months ago. So this is a seething place. It's a critically important place. And uh, we've got to stay engaged, I think, to, to keep it on somewhat of a path moving towards an open, democratic country. So, uh, Ambassador Brownback, what, what policies should the U.S. be pr- pursuing now, or what position should we take as it pertains to Sudan and this now military government? Stay engaged, number one. Uh, don't just, you know, just march off the field. Stay engaged, I think, economically with them, too. They need that lifeline, and I think that's our critical thing that uh, keeps the Chinese and the Russians from uh, uh, taking over a lot of control of the place. Continue to demand elections uh, and a new civilian government be brought in, I think, would be also a key thing for us to do. And to continue to press them for the human rights and to stand for these human rights, like religious freedom, that are really central to the operation of an open democracy and a, and a religious nation like what, like what Sudan and the Sudanese people are. To me, those are the key elements of what we've got to keep our eye on the prize about. And uh, there's a lot of factionalism involved. There's a lot of communists and Baathists uh, that are still operating. There's a lot of Bashir loyalists that are still there. We've got to, we've got to work with the better angels there to keep them somewhat on a positive track. And as uh, Christians here in the United States, we can be praying uh, as well. There's a large, large Christian population there in, in Sudan. In fact, I had the opportunity to, to preach at a Catholic uh, service uh, while we were there outside of uh, Sudan. And so we need to be mindful and prayerful for uh, those that are simply wanting the ability to live out their faith in a, in free, in a free manner, unrepressed by the, uh, by the government. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they have done a lot in that category. And they have formal relations with Israel now, which is an extraordinary thing uh, that they have done. So, I mean, they've made these huge steps, but then you get 400 percent inflation and you're going to have a lot of dissatisfaction that's taking place. And that was the thing that rocked Bashir earlier was he got a lot of inflation going. We just really got to help them uh, get over these humps and just don't disengage and throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's stay engaged and let's keep trying to help them move forward. Ambassador, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for, uh, for stopping by and joining us today. Happy to do it, Tony. God bless you and your listeners. All right. Former ambassador at large for international religious freedom, our good friend Sam Brownback, also senator from the state of Kansas and former governor of the state of Kansas and a uh, a great guy. Well, during the CNN town hall meeting last week, the President Biden had, he was asked if the United States would come to Taiwan's defense if China attacked. Well, in response, he said more than once that we would, adding that, quote, we have a commitment to do that, end quote. Statements that uh, President Biden has made um, were countered by administration officials that have kind of walked back 
those statements. Joining me now to talk about this and the uh, the total disaster that is President Biden's Taiwan policy is China expert Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. He can be found on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. But right now you can find him in the studio with me. Gordon, welcome uh, to Washington Watch. Thank you so much, Tony. It's great to be here. Well, it's good to have you in studio. Um, let's talk about this. The president was clear. In fact, you said he is he was clearer on our policy toward Taiwan than what we've seen in decades. Yes, and, and this was not the only time that President Biden did that. He had a conversation with George Stephanopoulos of ABC News in August, and he clearly said then, we're going to defend Taiwan like we're going to defend our NATO partners like Japan, like South Korea. That was that was unambiguous. But what we had was the White House press secretary, Jen Psaki, day afterwards, we had the defense secretary, Lloyd Austin, State Department spokesman Ned Price. They just contradicted the president. So, you know, constitutionally, the president makes foreign policy, but now it looks like it's Jen Psaki is the one who's calling the tune. So how does China interpret that? Um, China, um, when we can see this from a number of comments from Chinese officials, are just ecstatic. So, for instance, Chen Weiwa, who is the European bureau chief for China Daily, which is a Communist Party official publication, said, oh, Biden's too old. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He likes to bluff, which is a real indication that the Chinese leaders look at this and say there is just disarray at the top of the Biden administration. And the reason why that's important is because they might be impelled to act if they think it, if they can get away with it. Do you think China's willing to take the risk now to make a move on Taiwan? Normally I wouldn't, and there are some reasons for stability, but the problem is that Xi Jinping's a very bold leader, he has a low threshold of risk, and I think he can take us by surprise. And it's not just a question of a planned invasion. What I think is really dangerous is uh, accidental encounter in the Taiwan Strait. Right. Um, China's been uh, maneuvering very belligerently, both on the, in the air and on the sea surface. So that could very well be what causes this. And I think the probability of war is much higher than policymakers in Washington think. So more of an, an accidental incident that triggers Yes, and we saw this on April 1st, 2001, early days of the administration of George W. Bush, where a fast-flying Chinese jet clipped the wing of our EP-3 U.S. Navy reconnaissance plane. Um, you know, that was a disaster. Right. I was actually on the Hill this morning uh, meeting with some members, and we were discussing China, uh, and we were discussing this very issue of what might happen if uh, China made a move on Taiwan. One of the concerns is that the American public would not have the, the, the stomach for an engagement with China. And given China's growing military power, um, we don't have the superiority that we once had. You know, our, our battle groups, there are, are, if, if we lost an aircraft carrier, uh, what impact would that have on the psyche of Americans? Uh, in terms of uh, having a military engagement with uh, China. Yeah. There was a recent poll, I think it was done by Pew or somebody, who said that the majority of Americans would believe that the United States should defend Taiwan. But you're absolutely right. When it comes to it, we wouldn't know. What I'm worried about is the psyche of the U.S. Navy, where you have an officer corps that seems defeated. 
Uh, and also, we know that the Navy is a very troubled institution. Um, you had the fire um, at the Bonhomme Richard, right. lo complete loss of the ship last year, and those two destroyer accidents in 2017, really a sign of a very sick institution. Yeah, we've, we've, uh, we've actually seen, I think it was Senator Tom Cotton uh, and others that did their own evaluation of the, the Navy showing that we've got some serious leadership issues there because we've been focusing on uh, these social policies as yeah. opposed to preparing our Navy to fight uh, military battles. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's that which is really troubling because, you know, when you have the President of the United States saying the number one threat is climate change, yeah. Um, and then with all these gender battles and uh, that they're conducting throughout the armed services. And we know the Navy, they, they've had trouble on all sorts of fronts. I mean, they can't even get their um, aircraft carrier, the Ford, um, into battle shape. So this is a real problem that, guns, that runs through the Navy from top to the bottom. So, so Gordon Chang, let me, let me switch gears a little bit, staying on China, but away from the military issue in Taiwan to the economic issue and the, the trade issue with China. And right now where we've got this supply chain disruption, does this not tell us that we need different trade partners than China? Well, it certainly does. I mean, when you have something like 80 container ships outside of Long Beach, and this is not just a container ship problem. Bulk carriers also have these severe um, supply disruptions. And, and that means, you know, Vice President Harris, she was in Singapore in August, and she said right then, look, buy your Christmas presents now, because she knew that this was going to be serious. Um, we should be having Christmas. I mean, um, I, I don't know what it's going to take, but clearly we should be making our stuff on this side of the Pacific. Right. Do, do we have to buy stuff from China? Can't we find some other place to manufacture these goods? Well, we certainly can. First of all, in the U.S., but also in Central America, because we've got these caravans that are pressuring our southern border. Exactly. This is not Mexico. These are, are people from the Central American countries because their societies were destabilized when factories left for China. Well, if we had the factories come back, right. we'd have prosperous societies there, we wouldn't have the problems, and we wouldn't have the caravans. Right, so some of that manufacturing that's taking place over in China where they're using the profits to build a military to uh, stand up against us, if we did trade with Central and South America, we, we solve several problems. We, we solve a lot of problems. And, you know, we have an administration that tells us that climate change, well, look, if you have those 15 of the largest container ships pour more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere than all the world's cars. So you would think that this administration would be saying, let's sort of shorten our supply chains, let's put less carbon in the air, let's manufacture stuff on this side of the Pacific. Well, and, and you think of some of these critical uh, manufacturing uh, products. I mean, the PPE, uh, the personal protective equipment that we weren't able to get our hands on, that China even kind of threatened that they weren't going to get it to us. And, and China nationalized an American factory making the N95 masks. We heard Beijing specifically talk about trying to throw America into, quote, the mighty sea of coronavirus. So we do have these critical vulnerabilities where China makes something like 90% of the pharmaceuticals we use, plus also the active pharmaceutical ingredients. I don't know why we do this. What would it take to see that type of manufacturing come back to this hemisphere? It would take presidential leadership 
President Trump in his last year um, started down the path of industrial policy. And I know a lot of people don't like it, but we can't rely on China for this. So he had that $665 million loan to Eastman Kodak to make active pharmaceutical ingredients. Now, that was a misfire, but we need to do more of that, which means we need to have the president invoke the, the um, International Emergency Economic Powers Act of 1977, make the stuff here. And then, for instance, uh, countries like um, Honduras, Guatemala, those countries where we're, we're, we're supposedly we're from that triangle, we're getting these immigrants coming here, mi migrating here because they don't have, uh, according to the administration, they don't have economic opportunity there. Yeah, but you have the vice president who's supposed to be in charge of this, and she talks about root cause. And when she talks about root cause, it's just throwing American money into the Northern Triangle. Well, that's not the root cause. The root cause is, as you point out, it's having factories there, having a viable, self-sustaining society. Now, we can help by having, for instance, uh, changing our free trade agreement with the region, CAFTA. And if we just make a few changes, that would encourage factories to go over to the Northern Triangle. Right, and we could also encourage encouraged through our tax policy. This administration talking about uh, taxing uh, subsidiaries uh, that are uh, in other countries. Well, you could have a differing tax rate if, depending on what hemisphere it's in. Oh, absolutely. There's so many incentives that we can give. Uh, and we absolutely have to do this because, as you point out, China cannot threaten the U.S. without our money. And we're shoveling money there with trade, with investment. And, and I just think that history is going to look back at us and say we're crazy. Yeah. By the way, uh, that stand mug, not made in China, made in the U.S., 15 ounces of ceramic, and it's all yours here in the U.S. And folks, you get one, too. Go to TonyPerkins.com. Gordon, great to have you in the program today. Oh, it was so much fun, Tony. Thank you. All right. And folks, thank you for joining us as well. Again, check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. You can find Gordon at Gordon G. Chang. That's after he leaves here. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.